You are listening to the Pursuit Church SA podcast. We are a group of imperfect, real people on a mission to pursue God and love people. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. So this week we are in week three of our sermon series, Relational Vampires. We've been talking about relationships that suck the life out of you. And today, we're going to talk about overly needy people. Overly needy people. They're the ones that are constantly in need of your attention, your time, or your money. They always need something. Overly needy people. Now, God loves needy people. God loves everybody, and he loves the needy people, too. As a matter of fact, his word The Bible gives us many ways to love them, to care for them, and to be able to minister to them, right? And most of the time, when you think of a needy person, you think of someone who may have like a financial need or or is in some kind of crisis. And you know, there are a lot of people out there who are out of work or um, unemployed and don't have the income they need to sustain themselves, and so they do have a true financial need. Um, And they're struggling. They're struggling to make ends meet. But what I want to talk about today is the overly emotionally needy people. That's a whole nother thing. I want to focus on that today. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had someone in your life that they just always seem to have an issue? There's always something going on. There's some kind of drama always going on in their life. Like, nothing's ever happy and settled. It's something stirred up, stirred up drama. You know, they're like the victim. Like, somebody's always messing with them. It's either their boss or their mother-in-law or the neighbor. Maybe it's the IRS. Somebody's always messing with them. Somebody's always messing up their life. And you know, you may have somebody in your life that's like that right now. I hope that's not you. But you know what I mean right? Overly, overly needy people. You have, um, for example, you have a conversation with them and, you know, hang up, everything's good. And then a few minutes later, you get a text message. Are you okay? Are we all right? Are you good? Did I say something wrong? Is there, is there something wrong? Are you mad at me? They're what I call the world is falling apart. I'm in trouble and I don't know what I'm going to kind of do. People, the overly needy people. And it almost seems sometimes like they don't know how to live without having some kind of turmoil or drama in their life all the time. They just can't rest. They have to have things stirred up all the time. And in general, I think most of us, we want to help people that have a need, that are needy, right? Even emotionally needy people, we want to help, right, in general. And the problem is, and I want you to get this. The problem with that is if we don't help them the right way, then we can end up hurting them and hurting ourselves. We have to be careful. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had this scenario play out in your life where someone has a need and you want to do something to help them, right? So you go and you do something and it's not enough or it's not quite right. It doesn't matter what you do. It's just not enough. So you pull back. You think, well, I'm not going to help you anymore. You don't appreciate it. We're done. And then they start to resent you. And then what comes next? You start to feel guilty. It's like this cycle with overly emotionally needy people. And what ends up happening when that scenario plays out is that 
they end up worse off and you end up worse off. That's happened to me before. Now, I, I can bring that up because that's truly happened to me before. And the reason because it happened is that I wanted to help, but I didn't do it in the right way. That really matters. So what I want to talk about today is how do we help people in a way that is truly helpful? So before I start, I want to talk about a couple of little definitions to bring some clarity to this. So what's the difference between relief and restoration? Relief is something that a lot of people need, but it's immediate and it's temporary assistance. That's relief, right? Okay, so restoration... Well, let's go back to relief. Relief is, for example, like when someone has an immediate tragedy. I remember a few years ago, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, right? And it just wiped the city out for the most part. Well, there were a lot of people who had needs. They were very needy. They lost homes. They lost everything. It was a huge flood. And so we all rallied. People rallied and supplied water, brought in relief, food. Some people even went back to H-Town and helped them rebuild, helped people clear out their homes and get all the garbage out that had been destroyed by the water. That's relief. There was an immediate urgent need, and that was immediate assistance. That's relief. Another example of relief is like, say somebody loses a job and they don't have that income anymore. Well, you may rally to pay a, a month's worth of their utility bills to help them out. Or you may watch their kids for them so they can go out and job interview or, or look for a job or whatever. That's relief. That's temporary and immediate. Those are different. It's temporary assistance in a tragedy. That's what relief is. But there's a second type of help that takes a lot more time and a lot more effort. I'm talking about restoration. It's not temporary and immediate. It's ongoing. So what is restoration? Restoration is working with people to restore them to their God-given potential. Restoration, now hear this, restoration isn't doing something for them, it's working with them. It's not the same thing as helping someone out after a natural disaster or a job loss or something like that. It is spending months and maybe even years Working with someone, say, for example, they're an addict or an alcoholic. You spend time with them. You hang in there with them. You help them get into rehab. You help them find an accountability partner. You give tough love, and you don't let them off the hook, and they fall off the wagon. You're still there for them. You're not condemning them. You're not beating them over the head. You are still there for them. And then after a long period of time, ups and downs, Hits and misses, wins and losses, finally, by the power of God Almighty, they get clean, they get sober, and you've been part of that helping them be restored to their God-given potential. That's restoration. And it's also working with the chronically insecure person, all right? You know the one they may say, um, you're all about meeting their needs. Like you complete them, or they need somebody to complete them. You being their friend is super important to them, but it's important to the point where it's toxic, where if you have other friends, then they get mad at you or they get hurt. They're super emotionally needy and insecure. It's the people that think they need somebody to make them happy or to complete their lives. They need a man, they need a girlfriend, they need, need, need somebody 
to meet their needs emotionally. Restoration for that emotionally needy person, it's like, it looks like this. You sit across the table from them. You open up God's word. You teach them what God's word says about them, who they are in Christ. And you remind them. You help them get involved in a community, in the local church. And over time, you disciple them. You spend time with them. Again, it takes time and effort for restoration. You spend time with them and disciple them to the point where they realize that their security doesn't come from another person. It comes only from Jesus Christ. That's restoration. And over time, doing that, you spent lots of time, lots of effort, lots of love, y'all. Restoration requires love. And you love them to the point that they are restored to their God-given potential because you took the time. You made the effort. Restoration is working also with the person that never seems to have money. They're always broke. Who knows somebody who's always broke, always, always needs something. Maybe that's not our story anymore because our kids are grown and they're doing good. But man, for a while there, they were always broke, always asking for money. But you, instead of throwing $500 at them to help them temporarily, because you know that's not going to solve the problem, right? That's just a Band-Aid on a bigger issue. You sit down with them. They need a budget. They need to learn how to get a better job or cut back on some of those expenses. They've spent years of digging themselves into a financial hole, so it's going to take some time for them to get out. But you're there with them. You work with them. You teach them a new language, a new way of thinking. Debt is bad. Debt is stupid. We don't pay credit cards anymore. We pay cash. You teach them this. And one day, they're debt-free. And they're sowing back into God's kingdom and they're restored to their full God-given potential. But that takes time. Restoration takes time. And I honestly believe that most of us want to help needy people. It's in our hearts sometimes to just really want to help needy people. But the issue is we want to offer relief when a lot of times what they really need is restoration. So I want to tell you about a story in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 3, and it's a story of restoration. And then I'm going to give you three specific prayers that we pray as a restorer that brings people back to their God-given potential. So follow along with me. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, very specific time. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. So let's stop for a second. What's going on here? Think about it. We have a guy who has a huge need. And for his entire life, because the scripture says he was lame from birth. So for his entire life, people have offered him relief. He's still begging. He's a grown man, still begging. His entire life, people have given him relief. They carried him to where he needed to go. He begged. People gave him money. And then somebody carried him back home. But this guy was smart, y'all. I want y'all to pay attention to this. He was smart because he knew exactly where to go to beg, to get the highest ROI, return on his investment. Okay? <laughs> Back then in those days, there were three places that were common for beggars to go. One of them was the highways. Of 
course, people traveling back and forth, back and forth. They had a, a lot of uh, chances of a lot of getting a lot of traction there, right? People coming by, okay, throw you some money. The second place was pretty obvious in front of the homes of wealthy people. Duh. The other place was in front of the temple. Remember, people went, the Jewish people went to the temple at a, the same time every day. So there was going to be a lot of people going at that time. That was the best place to beg because that's where everybody went. And also, now watch this, the religious leaders were there, the Pharisees, and we know how they loved to be seen and known for how much they gave. Their acts were their own way of feeling self-righteous, holier than thou. So he knew, hey, I'm going to go there because you know what? The Pharisees would try to outgive each other so that others would see how holy they were. So this man was smart. He knew where to go and what to do. This guy knew that someone was going to meet his needs there. So let's keep reading. Go to verse 3. When the lame man saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked at him straight as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So when this guy saw Peter and John walking into the temple, he asked them for money. That was his standard operandus, right? That's what he did, which most people think that money is their biggest need. Most people think that. If I just had more money, my life wouldn't be so stressed out because then I could hire somebody to do this and I wouldn't have to do it. Or if I just had more money, you know, I'd be happier because blah, blah, blah. Most people think they just need more money. So when Peter and John told him, look at me, he did. He's like, all right, y'all about to hook me up. I'm going to look at y'all. And so he looked up, expecting them to give him. Why did he do that? Because his whole life it had been like that. Think about that. His whole life had been about people just giving him relief. Nobody taking the time or the effort to help restore him. Whatever that might have looked like. But in verse 6, Peter changes it all up. Peter says, you want money? I don't have money. But what I have is way better than money. In the name above all names. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm telling you to walk. Verse 7. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up. And instantly... The man's feet and ankles became strong. So what did Peter do? He helped him. But get this. He gave him a hand up and not a hand out. We got to help people with a hand up, not necessarily a hand out. Verse 8. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. He was healed. He was restored because Peter and John took the time. They invested. That's what happened there. They worked with him. They said, we're not going to give you a temporary fix. No, you are going to have to participate so that you can be restored. You stand up. You believe God can do this. You take a step of faith. He had a responsibility. If he wanted to be healed, he had a responsibility. And when they took the time to work with him, God restored the lame guy. 
this isn't in my notes and it just hit me right now. When we take the time to do what God has given us the ability to do, God honors that. God restored the lame guy. That's big. That's huge. God honors what we do. The problem with many of us, though, is that we typically don't work with people. We'll work for people. And we do that because we wrongly believe that we are what they need. They need us to get better. It's like we have some kind of God complex. We think we're the Savior. And, and I don't say that ugly. It's not that we do it intentionally. We probably don't even realize that we're doing that. But we're basically saying, I have the answers. I am the, I am the fixer for you. I am the solution. I have to meet your needs or nobody else will. The Savior, the God complex. Then when things don't work out, which they don't because we're not God, we feel bad. We feel guilty. We feel bad. We say to ourselves, well, I tried to help you and... You didn't appreciate it, and then we pull back. And a whole nother set of issues come with that. Guilt, shame, regret. Why? Because you thought you were necessary for what they needed. You thought you were the solution for what they needed. They needed you to make them better. No, no. And this is why I want to tell you about the three prayers of a restorer. First of all, and I want to say this, and I really want y'all to hear this. First of all, when we pray, it puts us in our right place, yes. a place of humility. Yes. We humble ourselves before a mighty, mighty God, and we submit to his will, not ours, his will. And we realize when we're praying and when we submit our, ourselves humbly to God, we realize that we're not the ones who restores. God is the restorer. God is the one who brings restoration. He's the power source. We're just connectors. He's the outlet in the wall. We're just the plugs. Plugging into people. Going through to God. He's the healer. He's the restorer. We need his wisdom. We need his help. We don't have it. Not one person in this room, me, him, none of us, have enough wisdom and enough discernment without him giving it to us to tell us how we can help the needy people around us. Otherwise, we're just going to keep on trying to help people in a way that doesn't even help them. Just keeps them in bondage. And in the end, it ends up hurting us too. So let's help God. I mean, let's help people, but let's do it God's way. First prayer of a restore. God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. This is what Peter did. The lame guy wanted money, right? Peter said, I'm not giving you money. I don't even have any money. But I will, through the power of the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, I will say to you, walk. People are going to tell you what they think they need or what they want. But we have to pray. We have to humbly submit ourselves to God. The minute we get a need call in or whatever that might look like, a need text, a need whatever, we need to submit ourselves to God. We need to get on our knees and pray first because we're going to have to pray and ask God for wisdom we're going to have to pray and ask him for discernment to go beyond what they think they want or what they think they need and how we feel. Doesn't it make you feel good to help somebody in need? Should, right? But remember, feelings are not facts. We need to pray to God, ask for his wisdom, his discernment to go beyond our feelings 
what these people are telling us and to know the real and specific need. I'll give you another example. Somebody says to me, mm, I need money. I got all these bills and, and you pray about it and God will clearly show you, no, they need a real job, a 40 hour a week job to pay their bills. And if you just go and throw money at them again, you're, they're going to stay on that couch forever because you offered them relief when they needed restoration. I know that sounds hard. That may sound hard sometimes. And there's probably people in this room think, man, she is cold blooded. No, this isn't my word, y'all. I didn't make this up. It may sound harsh, but this is really good preaching, y'all. Because I do believe that God wants to show us today how to really help people in need beyond what they think they need and how to restore them. So, for example, somebody says, and this is, oh, man, so many times we've heard these words. I just need some money to make my car payment. I need $600 or $650 to make my car payment. Man, I remember when car payments were like $200. Wow, $600. And now, right? Now you can't even buy a good car for less than $600. Well, maybe you can. But anyway, they tell you, I need $600 to make my car payment. And you pray, and you're like, and, and they'll even tell you, I, got, I need it because i got to go get a job. I got to have it to go to this job interview or I got to have it to get to work, right? No, that what they need is a $3,000 already paid off car. They don't need a $45,000 car that they can't afford and now they're in bondage to. They need to take that $45,000 car down to the dealership and they're giving good money for used cars right now. They need to sell that car, get them a $3,000 paid in cash car that's going to get them where they need to go and do what they need to do right now. That's restoration. Get them out of bondage. Restore. You help get them out of bondage by that. Or you may hear this one. I need you to help me. You're the only one that ever listens to me. You're the only one that really cares. I need you. I need you right now. Why can't you make time for me? You've got to learn to say, no, I can't meet that need. Only God can meet that need. You have a God-sized void, and only he can fill it. I'm not, I wasn't destined to fill that need. And I love you, but I'm going to love you in a way that's going to help you. Y'all, I pray, I pray that God gives us the ability, gives us the knowledge and the wisdom that we need to truly help people beyond what they say they need. So I want to share a little story with you. It's, it's about my children. So a few years ago, one of our kids went off to college. And they were off at college having a great time, playing around, skipping school, smoking weed, I don't know what they were doing. And he and Bob and I were sitting here writing the checks, paying the bills. And I remember praying and praying and praying for that child and just reaching out. I would send them text messages of scripture. I would send them, you know, CDs back in the day when CDs were a thing, right? I'd send them CDs of sermons from church, right? Be like, oh, this is really good. This is going to be good. This is going to touch your heart, you know, so they could listen to it on the car on the way to class that they weren't going to. What? So... We were still writing the checks, though. This, this kid of ours was out in school doing Lord knows what. One day, and I, I spent so much time, both of us, so much time praying and praying for this kid. And I remember one day specifically praying to God and saying, God, why aren't you softening their heart? Your word says you'll give us a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. I've been speaking that. I've been praying that. What's going on here? Why, why, why? God, why don't you um, show me what I got to do? Show me where I'm going wrong. And I remember distinctly, y'all, the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Now, it wasn't out loud like 
I don't, nobody like that. And Jesus don't talk to me out loud. Okay, unless it's through one of y'all's mouths or something. But it was the Holy Spirit speaking into my heart, very clearly saying, that child has become your idol. You are idolizing that child because you're so focused on that child, you're not paying attention to me. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. And if you will take your hands off that child and stop trying to be God, I'll be God. And I'll do what I'm supposed to do. I had been enabling this kid, giving them what they wanted, relief, writing those checks, paying those bills. But God wanted to get a hold of their heart. There will be times when you will be tempted to give in to what people say they want, the needy people. Don't do it. Don't do it. The first prayer of a restorer, ask God to help you look past what they say they need and see what they truly need. And the second prayer of the restorer, and this is really important, I I know it will change your life and change your heart like it did for me. The second prayer of the restorer is, God, help me stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from your consequences. God has a law of sowing and reaping. That's God's law. It's called the law of the harvest. Galatians 6, 7 says, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked for a man reaps what he sows. So God designed a system where if you sow stupid seeds, you reap a stupid harvest. It's his law, not mine. Sowing and reaping. It's there for us to learn, and he did it because he's a good, good father. And he's trying to teach us. He's trying to grow us. He's trying to help us learn to be everything that he's called us to be. And when we rescue people from their stupid decisions, we get in God's way. Bottom line. And I believe that one of the biggest parenting mistakes, one of the biggest parenting mistakes that we can make is to continually rescue our kids from the consequences of their dumb decisions. That's a big parenting mistake. We got to take our hands off of that. And I can say that because I've done that. I've lived that. We got eight kids between us. We have lived that one out, y'all. I got another story. Don't believe me? Here you go. My oldest daughter was young, right? I think she was in elementary school. Well, she had a school project. And that's another thing. I just need to say this. My granddaughter, when she was in kindergarten, kindergarten, y'all, the girl was five years old. They gave her some big old diorama poster project where she had to learn all this stuff. I was like, what? My girls didn't do that till they were like fifth grade. Well, my oldest daughter, Leticia, had a project. And I knew she had this assignment. When she first brought it home, I saw it. I was like, all right, that's cool. Just remind me, right? I think she was in fifth grade. Well, she didn't remind me. In those days, and even now, Letty's all about softball. That was her life. And so she was like, okay, I'll remind you, Mom. Well, guess what? She tells me on the way to softball practice one evening, oh, Mom, tomorrow my project for science is due. I got to do blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? I said, you're telling me the night before? She says, well, you knew. I was like, oh, no, boo. Your job was to remind me. So I'm driving her to softball practice, and I'm thinking, okay, I wanted to fix this, right? So what do I do? Drop her off at the ballpark, head to Walmart, buy all the stuff we needed, and instead, God forbid she missed softball practice because she was going to be an Olympian, right? So instead of going back to the field and hanging out, I go home and do her project for her. (laughs) How many of y'all done that? Can I get some honest people up in here? (laughs) 
How many people have done that? Okay, maybe it's just me and Bob are jacked up. But anyway, the point is, how many times do you think about that? You know, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, though. I made a decision the next day. I was so tired. I had to go to work. I was tired, and I was like, no, I'm not doing that again. That's just ignorant. I'm not doing that again. So Grace and Terry paid the price on that one. <laughs> I remember the first couple of times they said, Mom, we got a project. And I'm like, oh, you're telling me the night before? You're not going to tell me the night before. You knew you had that project. You have a calendar. You have a planner. You should have told me. You should have reminded me. Too bad. Get a zero. And they had to have a couple of zeros for major grades. <laughs> and then they remembered, oh, Mom, don't play the last-minute project thing. They learned because I didn't rescue them. I might have messed up the first time, but the other ones, mm -mm -mm. How are we going to teach our kids to be responsible adults if we keep rescuing them from the consequences of their bad decisions? And I don't say that from a mean place. I say that from a place of it's our job to steward well the kids that God's given us. So we have to teach them. It says train up a child in the way they should go. Well, that includes education. It's our job. It's not really the teacher's job. It's our job. I got one more, one more kid story, and I'm done with that. I couldn't leave Terry Joe out of the equation. <laughs> so I remember when Terry was 16. And, you know, I have to say this, y'all. I was never that parent that was going to buy my kids cars when they got their driver's license. That was um, Pastor Bob's thing. So he talked me into it. I agreed, okay, well, she has a job. She's being responsible, so we're going to get her a car. And to be honest with you, I didn't want to be hauling her all up and down to the mall back and forth. I had a real estate, but I was busy. I didn't have time for that. So we talked about it, and we decided that Bob was going to give Terry his Jeep. We'd get it fixed up. We spent a ton of money because I didn't realize how jacked up that Jeep was. We spent a lot of money. We had new seats put in, had the AC overhauled, dealt all this money, fixed the Jeep up, and gave it to Terry. And when she got her license and she had her job, and um, what did she do? What did this child do? The first night she took it to the mall, she let her friend, who didn't have a driver's license, drive that Jeep, and she drove it straight into a brick wall. Totaled it. Thank God those girls were okay. I think they were just, I don't know what they were, but God took care of them. They drove straight to a brick wall, totaled it out completely, scared the daylights out of us with that phone call. But I tell you one thing, that car that was supposed to get her through high school and in and through college, it wasn't until her third year in college that she got another vehicle. She was on feet mobile or beg your friends for a ride mobile or Grace had to take her to work. That was a whole nother set of issues. But anyway, the point is we didn't buy her another car. Like, no, consequences, baby girl, consequences. Our kids, they're all grown now, but they knew they were going to learn some consequences as a result of their bad decisions. When they messed up, they were going to have to pay that price because we weren't going to rescue them. I love the story of the prodigal son. It's in Luke chapter 15. And I love what the father didn't do, what he didn't do. As the story goes, there was a younger son, and he was um, kind of rebellious. No, he was rebellious. He goes to his dad, and he says, hey, give me my inheritance now. That always bothered me. I'm like, your inheritance now? The man's not even dead yet. And this boy wants his money? Well, the dad says, all right, I'll, I'm going to do it. I'll give you your money, son. Here you go. The son was rebellious. He wanted it so he could go off, be free, live his life, do whatever he wanted to do. So the dad gives him the money. The kid takes off. And the scripture says he lived a wild life. So basically, he was out there sleeping around, smoking weed, partying like a rock star, doing all kinds of Lord knows what. And he ended up in a pig pen. Literally, literally eating pig food with the pigs. 
ugh, I don't know if I've ever seen a pig pen, but it's a hot mess. But guess what the dad didn't do? He didn't go chase his son down and rescue him. He could have said, oh, it's okay, mijo, come home. Come home, come home, mijo, I miss you, I love you, I don't want to see you suffering. Nope, his dad didn't do that. The father loved his son way too much, way too much to rescue him from the consequences of his bad decisions. And you know what? His dad wanted his son to come to his senses, and guess what the Bible says, Luke 15, 17, when he came to his senses, this is a son, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food and I'm here starving to death? Eating pig slop, y'all. Mm. When the emotionally needy person tells you, if you loved me, you'd help me, you have got to be able to say, it's because I love you that I'm not going to rescue you. It's because I love you so much that I'm not going to interfere with the God-given consequences of your bad decisions. Yeah, that may sound rough, but some people have to learn the hard way. Is there anybody in here who had to learn the hard way? Some of us have to learn the hard way. Oh, God, help us not get in your way by keeping people from the consequences of their actions. Prayer number one. God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. Prayer number two, God, help me stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. And the third prayer of the restorer is, God, help me remember that I'm in need too, and you are always the answer. This is key, y'all. If we really want to help needy people, we got to recognize we're in need too. We are so in need. King David said it well in Psalm 75. He said, but as for me, now this is King David. I am poor and I am needy. Come quickly to me. Oh God, you are my help. You are my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. This is King David, the king, knowing, recognizing that he was needy and he needed God to save him, to deliver him, to help him. When you realize that you're in need too, that you're not the Savior, you're not Jesus, then you take yourself out of the place of the real Savior. You're not trying to figure it all out. You're just trying to point people to Jesus. We're not God. We're just the connectors. We connect people to the power source, the one who is God, and he can bring restoration. He can heal. And you know, sometimes as a pastor, people think that, you know, I don't, I don't need God as much, or maybe I got things all figured out. I don't have nothing figured out. I need God. I need God in the depth of my soul. I want y'all to hear me on this. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God Almighty, and I am in need. I need prayer. I need encouragement like everybody else. I need authentic friendships. I need forgiveness, y'all, and I need support. So, no, I don't have all the answers, but I know who does. Y'all, me, we're both in need. We're in need of a savior. So God in his loving mercy placed us in a biblical community together, a church, a church family, so that we can help each other become all that God has created us to be. We can hold each other accountable. We can speak life into each other, encourage each other, support each other. Biblical community, this church is a biblical community that was God's design for us needy people. 
<laughs> and when you think about it, basically every physical need that anybody could have can be met by the church. We just helped 191 people have dinner for I don't know how many days. 191 people in this biblical community, we were able to bring relief to people who really needed it. That's what a church is for. It's to rally together and help each other and help others. God will also meet our spiritual needs through his church. That's his design. That's his design. We need to be in a community of fellow believers, all doing our best to follow Jesus while we're leading others to him as well. That's the point. And when we get that, then we can be restored to our God-given potential. Jesus intended us to be who he created us to be, and we can make his name known throughout the world, which is our job. It's what we're supposed to be doing. This is how God is going to use his church to make a difference. And it starts with us, needy people. I want to pray for us today. <clears throat> As we were preparing the message, it just really resonated in my heart that just how needy I am <laughs> and how I need God to give me wisdom and discernment to be able to help those who truly have a need, but to also have the desire and the wisdom to help restore those who need restoration. So I, I just want to pray for all of us. If you will, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, let me pray. God, I pray. I pray for those who are ministering to other people. Give us eyes to see the real needs. Give us wisdom, Lord, that only comes from you. Give us your discernment. And then give us courage to love and to help in a way that will truly help them. Lord, for those people who are hurting, I pray that they will be connected to your family, your body, the church. Lord, I pray, I pray that there'll be conversations today out there in the lobby, here in the auditorium, all throughout this building. God, let there be conversations today where we can stop, take the time, meet someone's need, help bring them to restoration, help serve someone here today. God, let us be your hands and feet. Help us know that we aren't the answer, but that you are the answer. Help us, God, to love one another, to love one another the way you want us to love one another, and to help connect others to your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that as your church, we would go beyond relief. Use your church, Lord. Use us to restore the broken and the lost, restore the outcast, to bring about true healing in a broken and sin-stained world, God. And God, thank you, advance. Thank you ahead of time, Lord, for all that you're doing. Thank you for the hearts that you're working on right now, Lord. Even as I pray in Jesus' name. If you just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to pray some more. I want to pray for a minute. Maybe, maybe you know about God, but you, you don't know how much you believe. Maybe you know there's a God. Maybe you know how good he is, but you've never really given your life over to him. Or maybe, you know, you think you, you've done some sketchy things and it's too much, it's too far gone. You've, you've passed the point of no return. Friend, I want to tell you that's not the truth. Never too far gone. Never made enough mistakes that our mistakes can't outrun the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And if that's you, if that's you today, you believe, but you know that you're not really following God. 
or you think that you're just too far gone, maybe, maybe you're the person who's tried to fill that emptiness inside of you with, with all kinds of things that, that aren't filling up that God-sized void in your heart. Maybe, maybe money, maybe hobbies, maybe work, maybe relationships going from one relationship to another relationship, trying to fill a God-sized void in your heart. If that's you, if that's you, friend, there's a Savior for you. If you're here today longing for more, you have a spiritual need, maybe that's why God brought you here today. If that's you, I want to pray for you. And one more, if you are the person who's been coming to church, going through the motions, checking off the box, and you're done with that, if you want to put that aside and say, I'm not playing church anymore, I'm not playing, I want God to restore, I want God to heal, I want to be everything that God created me to be, you're not checking off a box anymore, you truly want to surrender your life to Him, and you know that you need God in every way, if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. And if everybody would, would pray it as well, let, let's support people who are making a decision for God today. Let's just pray after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithful love. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the dead for my sin. Forgive me for my sins, Lord. Today I give you my heart. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Fill my heart with every need. Make my spirit strong and ready to obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. If God is transforming your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. You can give at PursuitChurchSA.com slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to follow us to enjoy more messages like this.